Konechny cuts off Dalene. The Flyers get the puck, but Giroux had trouble getting it out of the zone. He gets knocked down, and now he has lost the puck. Dalene now wrapped up by Giroux, and now the Flyers have it at two on one. Konechny with Provorov. Konechny waits the pass. Provorov scores! It's over! Ivan Provorov finishes it for the overtime game winner. 4 3 is your final. The Flyers survive. Hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett, and this is 10 years of the Sportscaster Season 11, Episode 6. Glad you could join me tonight. It is March 31st as I record. Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. We'll be there for the Wednesday morning commute. 70 degrees today in Buffalo, 30 tomorrow. That's March. That is March weather. And uh, then on Thursday, it's April 1st, and uh, Tammy and I were discussing what we were going to do to trick Paula on April Fool's Day because she's at the age still where you can pull off an April Fool's prank. Uh, So we plan on doing that on Thursday. Great show today. I'm really excited about it. Andrew Marchand from the New York Post is on the podcast today. There's a ton of of sports media business. You know, I've been reinvigorated a little bit with the sports media portion of this podcast. I've had a lot of sports media guests already. This season, we had Richard Deitch on. We had Mike McCarthy on. Andrew Marchand today. And I want to do more and more sports media as the uh, as the year goes on. And in this segment, uh, when the show opens, I'm going to start something called the Sports Media Moment. Or minute, excuse me, the sports media minute. And my plan is to discuss sports media news of the day. Now, I won't do this on episodes like today where there is already a 40-minute discussion on sports media. So we won't do it today. We'll still do first things first. Uh, But I'm looking forward to doing that. Andrew Marchant, New York Post. we got all kinds of sports media stuff to discuss, including, you know, the NFL contracts that came out and... Uh, some New York sports radio stuff, which I love. I had to defend Neil Best, who's a longtime guest on this show. Michael K came at him, and uh, I had a hit back. And I, Andrew does a good job dancing through that, considering Neil's one of his competitors. Uh, but Andrew Marchand, that'll be the first interview. Uh, then we'll update the book club. There's a lot going on there. And then the second interview today from ESPN and ESPN.com is Mike Triplett, who covers the New Orleans Saints uh, for them, and since last podcast, Drew Brees has retired, uh, and we will talk about the career of Drew Brees, Mike Triplett and I, in the second interview today, and then, of course, I'll do one last thing. So that's what we have to do today. First things first, and I know this is kind of Eddie Trunk's gimmick, right? Eddie Trunk's been on this show before, and I know kind of his great strength is in just destroying 
things like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Grammy Awards and their utter disrespect and disdain for rock music. Now, I'm a rock and roll guy through and through, okay? I've been listening to rock and roll music since I was born, I guess, you know? Uh, Triumph's Magic Power was like my first favorite song. We were lucky enough to have Rick Emmett on the podcast last year. You know, music is something that's kind of bonded me with my, me, with my father over the years. You know, in the younger years, when we weren't as close as we are now, we had music. I remember driving with him in the car on Saturdays when he would pick me up and singing along to his heart tape or Brian Adams or Journey or whatever he was into. And I loved all that music that I got exposed to through him and his friends. And then in the 90s, I got to have my own scene. And in the 2000s, even more so with Canadian music and getting to so many great concerts in Canada, Tea Party, Our Lady Peace, Moist, all those bands in the late 90s, early 2000s, Canadian rock scene, the Tragically Hip, of course. So I'm a rock and roll guy through and through, and I'm teaching my daughter rock and roll. You know, and it's fine. She can like pop music. She can listen to that with mom. But when she listens to music with dad, we listen to rock and roll. I'm teaching her rock and roll. And she's got songs she loves. Some stuff doesn't go over. Some stuff I'm shocked. Snap your finger, snap your neck by prong. She loves it. Surprised the shit out of me. But she can rock. Right? I'm teaching my daughter about rock and roll. I remember this one time on the bus. I was in the 11th grade. And I was listening to Bad Company on my portable CD player. I was listening to the song Ready for Love. And there was this girl on the bus who was in the 12th grade. So she was behind me. And she's kind of a rougher girl from the neighborhood. She lived right near me. You know, I think it was like her bus stop, then mine. So she lived right near me, girl from the neighborhood. But, I mean, she was a rapper to me. You know, she listened to rap music. She was jiving and funking, you know, all that kind of thing. White girl. And she comes up to me and she's like, I heard you were listening to Bad Company, Ready for Love. I love that song. You know, and I just didn't even realize. She's like, oh, my dad, you know, she he raised me on that. I always think of that. And Eddie Trunk talks about this, too, how some people, they can like all kinds of genres of music. Place to be nation, we have this, uh, I'm involved in, in one thing there on a regular basis, and it's I pick five songs a week for a playlist that they put out every Friday. And it's me and Jennifer Smith, who runs the Jenny Position uh, podcast feed. I check that out. Love Jenny. Love her work. And Matt, a kid named Matt, who's from Boston. He does it as well. And Matt, especially, and Jenny, they both pick these songs from all over the place. They like this and that and this. I pick five rock songs every week. 1950 with Elvis all the way to 2021, Dirty Honey, Mammoth WVH, right? Anything in between. 70 years of rock music. That's all I need. I don't want anything else. I don't like anything else. I don't like rap music at all. I don't like pop music. I don't like country music. I don't like techno. I don't like anything. I'm a rock guy. Rock and roll. I listen to rock and roll. And I'm teaching my daughter rock and roll. And she can be like that other girl on the bus. She can be like Jenny. She can be like Matt. She can like whatever she wants to like. That's fine. But I want to teach her rock and roll. Right? And when I'm dead and gone, I'm in that casket, I'll be, I'll be able to rest knowing, hey, I taught my daughter rock and roll. I'm doing that. I taught my brothers rock and roll. I taught Anthony rock and roll. 
talk Greg Rock and Roll. They go to Pearl Jam concerts with me now. They buy merch at the Pearl Jam concerts. They go to Pearl Jam concerts without me now. I taught them rock and roll. Someone should have taught whoever runs the Grammys. Because the Grammys is a disgrace. And I know, I know this is Eddie Trunk's bit, right? But, hey now is Howard Stern's bit and that didn't stop me. And I said this before on the podcast. I used to be so self-conscious about saying things that I've borrowed from other shows. Sometimes I like to ask a guest, do you have any questions for me? That's a tribute to Mike Shope, WGR 550. He's a smart sports radio guy. I like his show. I don't listen that much because I'm not a Bills guy. And I'm really not a terrestrial radio guy either. I can't stand the commercials and the sports news breaks. I just, it's to me a different era. But I love Mike. I listen to him when I can and he comes on this program with me. And it's a tribute to him. Let me get you out of here on this. That's a tribute to Tony Kornheiser, who I love. A legend. Strange man, but a legend. Hey now, a tribute to Howard Stern. I would not be here without Howard Stern. I have listened to Howard Stern every day since 1993, just about. And when I started listening to the Talking Sopranos podcast, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa do that show. When I started listening to that, uh, they were talking about the things in The Sopranos that were tributes to other things. And there's like 15 an episode. You know, oh, David Chase put this in because he's a big, you know, Godfather fan. He put this in because it's a tribute to Goodfellas. Oh, Edie Falco was in this movie, so they put this in. They use this line from Rolling Stones because this guy loves Rolling It's all over, and it, it made me be like, okay. I'm not stealing. I'm paying tribute. So when I rip the Grammys right here, I'm paying tribute to Eddie Trunk, who's awesome. Check him out at volume. And he's been on this show a long time, a lot of times, two times, three times. I don't know. He's a good dude. We, we email all the time. Super great to me. And there's this show called The Emmys, and I always think back to when Pearl Jam won their Emmy. And Eddie Vedder walked up to the stage with his, he took his Emmy in his hand and he said, I don't know what this means. I don't think it means anything. And that's what I think about the Emmys. I don't know what they mean, but I don't think they mean anything. I think they're shit. You know, I think they're the the worst, the worst of the worst. And I'm saying the Emmys. How many times have I said the Emmys? I don't even mean the Emmys. Emmys is TV. Emmys is TV, Oscars is movies, Grammys. I'm trying to say the Grammys. See, whoever runs the Emmys, I give him permission. Slam me. I made a mistake. If I wasn't 10 minutes in, I'd, I'd redo it. It's all right, I'll own it. I screwed up. I was saying Emmys when I meant to say Grammys, but that's how little it means to me. All of those shows. The Oscars have disgraced themselves with this nonsense about who can win an award who can't win an award it's not a meritocracy anymore you got to fill a quota to make your movie eligible the hell is that but the grammys viewership for sunday's 63rd annual grammys award fell 53 percent from last year to 8.8 million viewers cbs said 
The award shows are on life support. Viewers for this show are bad, but it's not just the Grammys. The Golden Globes dropped 60% to 6.9 million viewings. The abysmal numbers have set off alarm bells for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, which awards the Oscars. They'll have their event on April 25th. The previous Grammy ceremony, which took place on January 2020, drew 18.7 million viewers, and that was down 19.9 from the year before and from an all-time high of 39.9 in 2012. Before Sunday's show, the lowest turnout was 17 million in 2006. The 8.8 million who tuned in for this year's Grammys included viewers who watched the linear broadcast as well as those who live-streamed it via CBS.com, the CBS app, or Paramount+, Plus, the company's new app. So it's all across the board, added in, and it's down over 50%. And these award shows, they're down for a bunch of reasons. And I guess I'm speculating a little bit, but one reason is because the people on them are out of touch with the world around them. And nobody wants to be lectured by these people. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to hear their vocabulary. Nobody wants to hear their pandering. Nobody cares about these shows anymore. And let's talk about the Grammy specifically because it's most recently and it's where my gripe lies. They only service one kind of music. The show is a pop music award show. They don't even televise the rock awards anymore. But who cares if they did because they don't have a clue what rock music even is. They don't have a clue. And the ultimate slap in the face to rock fans everywhere is what they did to Eddie Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen's family on the last one. I could have let everything else go because I don't really care that much about the Grammys. I was calling them the Emmys five minutes ago. But I'm not going to let stand what they did to Eddie Van Halen. There is arguably two people who are the most influential when it comes to the guitar, Les Paul and Eddie Van Halen. There's others, of course. Jimi Hendrix. Jimmy Page. Amazing. Eddie Van Halen transcends rock music, transcends the instrument. He's a music icon, a legend. He died in October. The Grammys were in March. They had from October to March to decide how they were going to honor Eddie Van Halen. And they ended up with six seconds of his music playing on a screen and a guitar on the stage. Six-second tribute. And they had apparently reached out to their son, to the son of Eddie Van Halen, Wolfgang, who has a new project coming out called Mammoth Van Halen, or excuse me, Mammoth WVH, Wolfgang Van Halen, Mammoth WVH. 
And the first single from this project was called Distance, and it was a worldwide number one rock song, and it was a tribute to Eddie Van Halen. And he's performed it on the Jimmy Kimmel Show and an acoustic version on the Today Show. But they didn't ask him to play that. They asked him to come on and play Eruption, which he said was super tone deaf. He doesn't. First of all, he doesn't want to be out there trying to be his dad. So when he turned it down, they hung up the phone. They didn't say, well, what about that worldwide number one rock song that just came out distance? Why don't you come out and play that as a tribute to your dad? It even has an accompanying video that touches anyone who sees it. No, they didn't say that. Supposedly, they reached out to some other guitarists, whatever. They couldn't find anyone on the world, apparently, who was willing to play Eruption, which is strange to me. So they settled on six seconds. And don't quote me on that. Maybe it was 10. I think it's 6. Maybe it was 12. That's it, though. Nice work, Grammys. Somehow you've managed to chase off 50% of your audience. And the audience that was there to see what you would do to pay tribute to one of the greatest guitar players, one of the greatest entertainers, one of the most influential guitar players in the history of music... They won't watch next year because you insulted them too. There was plenty of time for women to hump each other on giant beds and to have lip syncing at the Grammys. We don't even have singing there. All these canned performances with people singing to tracks, playing to tracks. It's all bullshit. And it's dying. It gets what it deserves. All those award shows suck. Suck. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Andrew Marchand from the New York Post. It's not easy listening. And it's not for wimps. It's for stations who want their music to be as exciting as their talk. Sports Radio 66. This is New York. Our first guest today is a graduate of Ithaca College. And writes a sports media column for the New York Post. He's very nice to join us today to talk sports media. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Andrew Marchand. What's up, Andrew? How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I understand why everyone wants to cover sports media on a day like today. Because I got like 10 things I want to talk about and they're all awesome. And uh, I'm just really excited to have you on. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, it's uh, my pleasure. All right, first thing, let's start Let's start easy. Uh, the NFL made a shit ton of money on their new rights deals, and you kind of knew they would. Uh, what are your thoughts on the deals? Um, just like when you read that, when, you, when, you, when the news broke and the releases went out, what were like the first two or three things that caught your eye as someone who actually does cover sports media? Well, I mean, I'd been reporting uh, for a while. In December, I wrote a column where kind of I said sort of everything that ended up happening. Yep. You know, specifically with Amazon getting exclusive Thursday nights. But I think, you know, so I wasn't really surprised necessarily of, of any of it. Um, in the number as well, I, I said it was going to be 100 plus billion back in December. So now that I've patted myself on the back a little bit, <laughs> I, I don't mean to do that. But, uh, but, um, 
perhaps I've done it before. Anyway, no, but the so I guess the, you know, look, Amazon's a headliner. I mean, Amazon getting involved in the NFL that's different. Um, it's only Thursday nights. It's only fifteen weeks, but um, you know, it's a new player. That you know, that's historic. Right. Uh, ESPN got in at one point. That changed their business. Um, what will Amazon do? What does it mean for sports? Um, is interesting. You know, that, that's my first takeaway um, in terms of the new. And I and I think I even if the networks wanted Thursday night, I think I'd want to be in business with Amazon if I'm the NFL in this, in this regard to not only see what they can do, but you need to create bidders. Now we're 13 years away from this, but at some point that will come and. You know, who knows where the networks, what linear TV will look like. You know, will their streaming services be able to support, you know, the billion dollars they're paying now for the rights to the NFL? So if I were them, I'd want Amazon involved. And um, I understand why Amazon wanted in as well in terms of their prime business and serving customers. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know, it's more than just free shipping in, in terms of what they do. Uh, so that's one. And then the other one would be, though, that said, the world's staying the same, uh, especially on Sundays. If you want to watch the games as you have, um, you know, for your whole life, for the next 13 years, you're going to be able to wake up, watch the pregame shows, put on CBS or Fox at 1, watch CBS or Fox at 4, and then uh, watch NBC at Sunday night with the top game. So, um, that doesn't change, and Monday doesn't really change that much either. You know, there, there will be some differences as it goes along in terms of the direct-to-consumer platforms, but overall, it doesn't have to change for you. Yeah, one thing I noticed when I was reading it over is every single statement had something streaming. Like, it felt like streaming was a big deal in some way to every single, like, ESPN's had one exclusive game every year that caught my eye for streaming. You know, I think uh, another one had something called Tubi in it, or I'm like, what is Tubi? Yeah. Is it Tubi? Is it Tubby? You know, like, what the hell is that? You know, um, I think there was something for Peacock and the NBA. Like, everyone had a little element of something. Um, you kind of feel that building, you know, and I wonder in either seven or ten years from now, of course, they have the out in seven years, you know, what will this really look like? And we're going to get more streaming news when the Sunday ticket thing happens because I think that that is headed that way, but we'll see. I'll ask you about that in a second. Here's what really jumped out to me, and this is later that this came out, is that next year is the last year of AFC-NFC split. Um, that That's terrifying for me, just as someone, you know, who's enjoyed the comfort of, like, you know, all right, I'm a Saints fan, and I'm going to get, you know, on most weeks, I'm either going to get Buck if it's a great game, I might get Kenny Albert, who I love. You know, is it going to be uh, this guy? Uh, who's the New York guy that's better in the studio than play-by-play, but he's super overrated by Fox? So I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, better in oh oh Kevin Burkhardt. Uh, Burkhardt, yes, like Burkhardt. Yeah, he's yeah. great in studio, but I don't care for his play-by-play. I might get him. Whatever. There's yeah, like a okay. there's like yeah, a. Yeah, I would say Kevin's a little better on in studio uh, than play-by-play, but I think he's. He, he's very good on football, um, but um, but yeah, in, in studio he's excellent. He, oh, he's he one of the, a, he's one of the best. Different comfortable. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. But anyway, what about this idea that like to me right now, just them saying it's like oh my god, it's like the wild west, you know? And hey, maybe it'll work out. Maybe I'll get Romo twelve times a year instead of one every other year or something like. But I don't know. This seems crazy 
Uh, it seemed like they had a good way to split it. Now they're going to open that up. What, what do you think it's going to look like, and what were your thoughts when you heard it? Yeah, I don't think it really had that much of an impact. I think you'll get used to it pretty quick. You'll have to look real quick what channel your team's on um, and what the games are in your area. So yeah, it was something kind of that was talked about um, you know, months ago in, in terms of a possibility, how they ended up doing it was a little bit different. I don't fully understand exactly how it works. I don't understand um, you know, it I know at all. Network, yeah, each yeah, network gets the pick 60. So I don't know if it's going to be as different as it may be. It gives them more flexibility in terms of making the schedule, which makes sense so they don't have to even out the games. I think that was kind of a, a thing that they had to do a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be somewhat different. But you already were seeing that. There were cross-flex games. Sure, where a couple you get of years. A couple of years. Yep. Yeah, you get a couple of years where it's like, wait, why is that game there? Right. And, so now you might get that a little more often, but I don't know. I, I think that the consumer, the viewer, I don't know if that'll be, I think it'll be an easy adjustment. I think you can do it. I, I got confidence in this. I think it's nerds like me who are just, you know, into this kind of thing. There's a little bit of a comfort there, you know, to just know yeah, it. Yeah, old school. Yeah. yeah, and you know the rules. You know, there's this set of rules. Yeah, like, well, no, you know, Steve, you're like, I, look, I see you guys, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, yeah, because you are a sports media dork like we, like I sure. am, yep. where, you know, you're, you're among your friends and someone's like, you know what channel was on, and you knew that. Well, it's home yep. NFC, so game is on CBS. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just like I don't. For some reason, sports media dorks like to know stuff like that. Now, I just think you're going to have to just uh, you know increase your dork sports media dork knowledge, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and, I, and I have confidence that you'll be able to deal with. People. One of my best party tricks was explaining the uh, w- what what games would be on local TV in Buffalo based on where the Bills were playing. Like, okay, you have to understand the Bills are home this week. So that means CBS has the exclusive window at 1 o'clock for their game. You know, my, my, the girl at the party, the pretty girl at the party is like, oh, really? Tell me more. You know, like, oh, okay. Yeah, your pla- that, your that place is open going. tonight? Yep. Like, oh, wow. You know, it's worked many times. But, uh, yeah. Uh, well, and the other thing is, let me say, before, <laughs> let me last thing. Before sure. Sunday ticket and Red Zone, yeah. the other uh, – the other great thing always was, if you had a favorite, I'm a Steeler fan, you have a favorite team, and you get a surprise 1 o'clock game that you didn't expect. You're like, oh, they'll probably go here, and sure. they go with your team, and it's like, oh, and that is like, that is Christmas morning stuff. Anyways, all right, yeah. let's move on. Next topic. Another Christmas morning thing is when you realize that Buck and Nance are both on at 1 o'clock. You're like, whoa, they're both on at 1. When was the last time this happened? But, uh. Let me text. Let me text Buck, even though he definitely doesn't want my text right now. See if he knows when the last time this was. <laughs> there you go. Um, but okay, I'm an out of market fan, so I want to know about the, the the Sunday ticket package. And you poured some water. You you had you broke my heart with the, with the ta- of the the reporting you did because Carton had reported that it was a done deal, ESPN Plus, and then bam, I refreshed that Twitter, and there's. Marshawn, the real sports media guy covering things, and he pours the water on. No, no movement on there yet. Um, so that broke my heart a little bit because I can't wait to take that satellite dish off my roof, put it in a box with the rest of their shit, and tell them to come get it. It's on the front porch. Um, but <laughs> but First of all, they don't come get it. This is a record from experience. They do not come get it. You have to take that thing off your roof. They don't do anything, so they don't even take that satellite back. But go ahead. Okay, but anyway. What's going on there? Is there an update beyond it's just not decided yet? Yeah. So, look, I don't like to be – like I just reporting what I know and talking to people who, are, who have very good knowledge on the situation. You know, here's the thing. 
DirecTV is unlikely to continue with it. Um, Thank God. I think there's a good chance that uh, – I, I shouldn't say there's a chance. Like, look, there's a chance it could be just ESPN+. Plus. If you ask me the most likely scenario, it's a non-exclusive package, and you'll be able to access it through maybe Amazon Prime, ESPN+, Plus, maybe somebody else, um, you know, that might be unexpected. Um, and so – that's how I think the NFL um, gets the most money out of it. It's, it's really expensive just to be an exclusive package, and I'm not sure if it makes enough sense um, for, the, you know, for, for anybody to maybe do an exclusive. I'm not saying that's impossible, but I think you might be able to buy it through a number of different places, which when you think about it probably makes the most sense, gives the most access to it, um, and – um, is more user-friendly than I need ESPN+. Plus. That's the only place I can get it. Um, you know, and I would presume maybe the NFL takes the cut off of each sale. So there's a lot of ways you could do that. Right. Because um, so, so I'm I wondering. Guess, let me put your – I broke your heart. Let me put it back together. I think yeah. it's going to probably end up in some variance of that. I'm sure you don't really care if it's on Amazon Prime or ESPN+. No, Plus or, anywhere else. Or Peacock or whoever. Yeah. yeah, any of those non-DirecTV. Right, anyone who doesn't have me in a vice grip because – I have no option at all, you know, and yep. uh, Makes sense. and like our mortgage, obviously that's your most expensive bill every month. Number two, direct TV, you know, and you call them and say like, oh, maybe I should cancel them stuff, some stuff. I took geometry, algebra and trig in high school. I didn't take direct TV math. That's a separate course. And they get you on there and they're like, well, if you take this out, since you're on promotion, then you got to add that. And then, sure, you subtract 90 channels, but your bill only got, goes down $5, and you're like, ah, forget it. You know, it's the wor- It's just the worst. I think what you're saying, though— Yeah, I got rid of them. I got rid of DirecTV a few years ago. I had it forever. Um, it's when they—you know, I used to always get, like, a deal. Like, they get 100 bucks for, like—and like they just—I think it went to AT&T, and they're just like, nope, we want the 4 It's like, I'm not paying $4. Um, when I—you know, at that point, I wasn't—I was still—I uh, wasn't covering media— so I, it just wasn't worth it. I'm right. a Steeler fan. Like they're they're on enough. That's the other thing. Like if you like a good team, they're on a lot. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's my I, number again, one thing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, it's my number one yeah. thing. Yeah, that's the thing. No, no, that no. Listen, I'm a, I'm a big. I'm still a Steeler fan. You know, I can go with. I'm not like I was when I was 15 or even right. You know, 22. So it's a little bit different. Like I still get into it, but it's you know I'm not like. You know, like if they lose, I'm okay. Like it's not like you know, it used to be like you know, obviously different, but but um, but yeah. So I can see it if you want every single game. But then yeah, again, but but then they're going to charge you 400. And here's the thing: if you go to Amazon or you go to ESPN Plus, I mean, you you'd have to think they might offer something different. Like you could just get the Bills out of market. You can just get the Steelers out of market. You don't have to buy everything right. and have different price points. I mean, it'll be interesting. Conceivable on a digital on a digital platform. It'll be interesting how they cut it up. My thought is that. If someone pays for it exclusive, I'm wondering if it's not premium. Like if, if ESPN does say, okay, we're going to buy the Sunday ticket exclusively, I think they'd be more likely to just include it at least year one to encourage the signups. I think if it's shared on a bunch of different streaming services, you're definitely still going to have to pay, you know, three, four hundred dollars a year for that, I would think. You know, that's the one thing I yeah, will. Yeah, I don't know if the outlays. If they have a billion or two, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear you, and you're right. Like, that does make a lot of sense for, but, like, um, you know, and, you know, obviously with these um, direct-to-consumer platforms, you know, they're spending money, and, at, at, you know, at, at some point they'll earn a profitability. Um, 
but those are pretty big numbers when you start talking a billion or two and how many more people are you going to get? Well, um, the uh, Peacock, Peacock spent a billion on the WWE Network, not charging any more for it. You know, so I mean, maybe I, I think it's more likely if it's an exclusive. You can agree or disagree. It's more likely if it's an exclusive thing someone buys that they'll be willing to give it to to the consumer first in exchange yeah, might, for subscription. Might, you're, you're, you know, you're probably you're probably you're probably right. I probably agree with that. Um, but again, that's a big number. Um, and I'm not sure. And I, I look, it's a great product. Once you get on Red Zone, it's hard to get off. I mean, that's a little bit of an issue for CBS and Fox with Red Zone. Right. Um, especially if, which I think is possible, they make it cheaper than it's been um, when it's on these platforms. And that could be an issue with more people watching Red Zone, less people watching CBS and Fox. Um, that could be a growing issue. But, um, yeah, we'll see what, where, that, where that lands. Well, I wonder if that's why they do that second. Because they got all those networks locked in now anyway. So it's like, hey, look at you, you know, we're already settled that. We're gonna give this thing the NFL, away. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're smart. The NFL's the best. Yeah, yeah, they're the no, they're the best. It's, I said this a number of times. They're the best of selling a pizza pie. Here's a fresh pizza pie, and then you take a couple bites. And oh, you know what? Can we just take that? We're gonna sell that three quarters of a piece uh, to somebody else. I mean, they just sell the same yep. thing over and over, ten different times, ten different ways. It's amazing. Uh, you know, they have the power. Yep, they have the power to do. It. They are the king. Uh Let's do the big one that's new, and that's Nance. So I had Buck on not even a month ago, and I said to him, I tried to figure out how, to, how can I phrase this where it can be a fun joke about you maybe getting $17 million in your next contract kind of a thing, um, which is difficult, and I'm not talented enough to do it, but I tried. And I think I just kind of said to him, like, are you watching to see what happens with Nance, knowing you're kind of next in line? We've seen Romo push the industry to the brink with a $17 million deal. Are you curious to see where Nance falls? Now, we don't have the number for sure. You kind of reported in your column today you think it's closer to the 10 and a half that Buck already gets. Um, obviously, the leverage just wasn't there for Nance. With Romo, he had ESPN drooling over the possibility of bringing him over for Monday Night Football. Uh, so maybe that is the key to pushing it all as far as he did. Uh, but Nance is staying, they say, for a long time. I never could have imagined him anywhere else or knew where it would be if he didn't go there. So it makes sense in the end. Is there anything that surprised you about it? Is there anything interesting to you? What about the money? Where, what do you think it means for Buck and and other top guys going forward? Where are you at on, on it now that we got the news? Well, number one is all these people's families are going to eat. So Thank God. Yes, That's God bless one. Yep. Yes. Yes, number one. Number two is Tony Romo had the perfect storm. Yep. Um, you know, sure Super did. Bowl year, yeah, NFL right. contracts coming up. I could go, I go on, honestly, for like 10 things that just broke perfectly for him. But, you know, most importantly, he did really well and just uh, vaulted to, um, you know, be viewed as the top analyst, you know, quickly after three years. Um, and so there's a lot of things in where they could, they, CBS could justify, you know what, we're about to spend a billion, $2 billion on the NFL. Um, you know, what's another 180 Now, that contract was too much, and it probably, you know, CBS will argue probably now that it did matter. It helped them, but it probably wouldn't have mattered. If he'd gone to ESPN, I think the deals probably would have been the same. Sure. Um, in terms of where they landed, they would have put Boomer Size in there for $7 million and, and be done with it, and they would have, you know, not be paying, you know, $17.5 million, $18 million total value per year um, when you get into everything. 
Um, and so, yeah, Nance wanted that money. He wanted the same. He feels he should get paid as much as Tony Romo. That's a fact. Um, so that's what he wanted. He's been the face of CBS um, for uh, three and a half decades, but they didn't value him as much as they did on that Romo deal. And leverage has a lot to do with it. I don't know the exact number. Um, you know, I was told that they, the latest offer I was told they got to 10 and a half million. So I think it's in that range. Again, don't know the exact number. That number also does make sense. That's where Buck is. Buck's at 10.5. Tariqo's a little bit lower than that. Um, but still he is at or approaching that $10 million mark, uh, per year. So yeah, I think Romo is a little bit of an anomaly. I don't know. It's like one of those contracts that I think will likely you know, stand apart for a long time. I mean, it's just such a crazy deal when right. you think it's about so it. Out he only worked so four out and a half months. Yeah. yeah, he only worked yeah. four and a half months. Like, what should he pay? And he's good and all, but, I mean, he doesn't. I think CBS knows that he doesn't make any difference really in the ratings. So they paid really for the prestige. I, I, think, I think they paid for the prestige a little. They, they knew everyone was going to be able to be trying to hire the next Romo for a decade, right? They wanted to be able to say, we already got Romo. You know, and I think that they they wanted the guy who changed the game a little, and I think they paid for the privilege beyond anything else. I think so. Well, I do also think, look, I, I think it's easy for me to say, well, that didn't help. And I talk to people with the NFL who've told me that, you know, they don't really care. They don't, you know, it's a financial thing that they're going to do when they make these NFL right. deals, you know, at the end. But that said, if you're CBS and the NFL is so important to you, don't you, I, I can understand their thinking when they go into the meetings and say, don't we want to go into these meetings? This is the most important thing to CBS slash Viacom. Um, so don't we want to go into these meetings with the NFL when you're going before they've got this deal done and you have Tony Romo on your side and not, again, this is pre-pandemic when this all went down. Yeah. Um, you know, Disney, who at that point, there was thought they would maybe go for two packages and go crazy and then they have Tony Romo. You know, that's a lot of momentum. Again, it's a little easier to say after the fact, well, you know what? They didn't have to do that. I do think you should have, in my opinion, this is really from covering baseball forever. I just think when you do the, you just have, and it has to make business sense. Yes. You can push yourself a little bit. Sometimes I've just seen too many free agent deals where you push yourself and especially 10, I mean, 10, yeah, the, the 180 million in total value is a lot, but the 10 years is like crazy. 10 year contract. I mean, think about where you'll be now. We're one year and nine years from now. Think right. how old you'll be. And like, you know, y'all be different. Your life is that's a long deal. It gives a lot of power to the individual. Um, in terms of regardless of what the contract says, it says 10 years guaranteed. So, uh, that gives a lot of, you know, we'll, we'll get Nance and Romo, um, on the NFL for, for, for a long, long period. Let's say they settled at 11. They just said, look, we'll put you a little bit above Buck. Settle in there. What does this mean for Buck? Do you think it's the same for him where it's pretty easy? They say, look, we'll put you back on top a little bit. We'll give you 12. Let's just go and be done. Boom. Something like that. So the key, the key is, as it is in every negotiation, is leverage. If Joe sure. Buck, when his contract is being negotiated, has the ability to go someplace else that's offering – more, or at least perceived to be. Seems like more, it wouldn't be the then, case, though. Right? It we'll seems see. like it. I mean, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. Unless Al Michaels goes out, and then they're like, "Hey, we still want the two guys." You know, we don't just want to plug Trico in. Maybe that gives a spot. I don't know, but I, I would, I would think that. Again, I think the the biggest. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right, I got a couple more maybe. I want to get to. Andrew Marchant, he's from okay. uh, the Post, 
Love having him on. We get nerdy here. We got a few more nerdy ones. Uh, JJ to the JJ to the ringer. Um, it's interesting because they could have blocked it. FAN could have blocked it. They didn't. They let him go. And I think it's also interesting because it seems like here a, a young, talented guy is betting on podcasting versus traditional. Um, leaves FAN to go to ringer. Do pass. I'm honestly I'm not that familiar with AJ. Is it basketball he's going to do there? I just think basketball when I think ringer. But it's just interesting. Yeah, JJ. Did you say JJ or AJ? J- JJ. Yeah, JJ. I'm saying JJ. Okay, I thought you said AJ. I thought no. it was like AJ Dewey. All right. No, I had it right. I had that one Go right. Ahead. Yeah. So what do you what do you think about what do you think about this one? Um. Well, I think financially it was a better deal for him. Um. That's clear. What I know about you know what he'd be paid at FAN and what the ringer you know for someone like him would go for. So I think financially it was a better deal for it. Um, and I think when you look at it career-wise, you kind of have to do it. Because if you're at FAN and doing, um, you know, evenings, unless something opens up, you're just kind of stuck there. So right. if um, – and that's not a bad thing, but, like, where you're not really good. So then an opening comes up and you're, like, the late-night guy. So – or the, you know, evening guy, maybe you get it. Maybe you're still, like, a rising star. But that could be three, four years down the road. You go to the ringer, and then let's say that same opening happens at FAN. Well – you might be able to go back, and you kind of have a little more. You kind of sometimes have to leave to get promoted. So I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for JJ that he tries something else. Um, and you know, and obviously, if it works, then you know maybe he never turns back. But um, I think in terms of growth um, for his career, I see why he would do it. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who felt like, and they, there was interest in putting him in middays. He did not think that he and Maggie Gray would work together. Um, and so, you know, give him credit for sticking to his guns as a young guy. You know, I think he's, what, 30-something, 30 33, I think. Um, so give him credit for that. Um, and he, he's got a unique sound. Like, is he, you know, people compare him to Mad Dog a little bit. You know, I don't know if he's Mad Dog. I don't know if he has the depth of Mad Dog. You know, not that Mad Dog's right on everything, but this Mad Dog has, like, this weird, like, encyclopedic, mind that's yep. again not totally accurate but interesting and fun to listen to i don't know jj has that he's a little betting focused um which obviously meets the moment um but is a even though they have so much betting content in terms of advertising on fan i'm not sure when people tune in i get it new age whatever i'm not sure people want to just hear about betting that's i could be wrong right. maybe it's a personal oh, thing yeah. but i i don't know if it's like you want to hear about betting. Yes, are, you inter- are people interested in betting? Yes, and that's going to become a bigger part of sports. But I think content companies have to be careful. It's not – I just think it's bringing people in and then advertising around it more, in my opinion, than just talking about who you like in every game. I don't know. I just don't think, like, the average person necessarily wants to, to listen to that, you know, 24-7. And I did think it was interesting you reported he's going to do a New York-centric podcast too there which is kind of interesting yeah it is interesting and i mean i think that there there is the market is open for that yeah um, that's really interesting and so yeah so i think that like i wonder um, if ringer does more if this works i wonder then if they're looking for someone to do you know a boston show a cleveland show whatever la whatever one chicago i don't know that's interesting oh yeah yeah i think that's definitely uh it's a good call by you probably something i should look into but that, yeah it's definitely possible all right, I've done this show for 10 years, and I've met some really nice people. I've met some I didn't like that much. I've almost met no one as mild-mannered, as decent, 
as kind as Neil Best. Like, what in the world? I, I, I thought, wait, I thought you guys, I'm like, wow, this is so nice what you're about to say to me. And then it's Neil Best. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, I've never met anybody so kind, you know, such a good guy, and it's not you. No, okay, well, but what right, I like about you is there's a little grit. You're you feel real New York to me. You know, like there's this. Yeah, you know, like it's it, fine. I, I know, I do. I, I knew you. I, I was pretty sure you weren't going with me. I was like, all right, what's he going with here? Okay, Neil Bath, let's go. Yeah, what in the world is like Michael K? You got to be kidding me. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this, but he did a, a like a two yeah, hour just yeah. blasting of him. He's unfair. He's now, I know that Neil Best was the guy that Francesa trusted in the end. And the last couple times, he got a lot of access there. Um, I think he was even waiting for him in the car, like the first time he retired, to drive home with him. Um, so he got, and I don't know, I guess that's where this stems from, but like, Neil Best is not unfair. Come on, that is a decent man who, before this, I'd never heard of him upsetting anyone. Like what is going on there? And and here's here's the part B. Uh, you guys have reported already. He's lost two months in a row uh, to Carton, and Carton strolls out of prison. Now, in my opinion, he won one book versus Francesa, the last one. The rest of those, he might claim he won, but if you add up the the streaming, and I don't see how you could argue against that. Francesa won those, so I'm giving him one book. Now he's maintained the lead, but now here's Carton strolling out of prison. Back on the air, and he's going to lose the very first book to him, first full book head to head to him. Is it that? Is he getting tight? Is he like what in the world is that about? Well, look, I think if you're Michael K, the ratings have to frustrate you. Um, you know, we're in the sports business, so nobody like likes when athletes make excuses. But there are things that are that are against them, and. Here's the, here's the thing. For Neil and for me, reporting on the radio ratings is kind of the bane of our existence, even though people think we like, at least they think I like, love it. I, it's really because of the streaming issue. Um, you know, Neil's chosen now not to present if there's any difference of how the station will look at he it. shouldn't. And, uh, well, it gets a little deeper. I mean, look, I kind of favor the stream on stream, but I understand the argument. I've listened to it. I've asked Nielsen for a declaration of where we should go they don't they refuse to give one they don't even want stuff public you know, right of course so yeah the, um but so I, look that's where i think his beef is like i think neil is very um like i don't he's, he's a competitor so i don't want to like um no i understand i, I understand to be unfair like i think he's like a, I, I agree i think your assessment of neil is accurate he's a, he's a, he's a good guy works hard and uh who um, you know, when, when you, he, he's taken the stand of not including like the difference in the streaming, which I can see, I, again, ESPN looks at it differently. We can get into the, you know, the, the depth of it. And also when you look at the ratings, there's more, it's like when you start breaking it all down, there are like apples and oranges in terms of lead-ins, in terms of two stations, but at the end of the day, so like that favor FAN, um, but that's, you know what, that's the team that uh, Kay is riding with, is ESPN, and that they make dumb decisions in terms of, like, overall how they do their schedule. That's not FAN or Carton or, or anybody's over there. That's not their problem. That's uh, FAN's problem. Um, I mean, excuse me, that's ESPN and Kay's problem, that they make, you know, bad decisions in terms of how they're um, putting together their, you know, Max Kellerman lead-in, which is, like, <laughs> it's barely in the ratings. It's 21st. 
um, right. you know, in the ratings. And, so and that's a real that's thing. A, I'll give them battle. that. That's a real thing. I'll give them that. You know what it's I mean? That's a, yeah, so for it's very sure. Close. Like here's the, and the other thing about the ratings, I would say, is that like when it's close, it's basically a virtual tie, which I wrote when it was Francesca K. Yeah, I've written it, and that's you know, fair. You know, both ways, and because it's not like you're touching home plate; these aren't exact numbers. So, um, and they were very low for both. You know, both stations. Nobody should be crowing about last month. I mean, again, that's usually a tough month this February, but it was a very low number in terms of their share but well, for both. Stations. And Andrew, um, this is a crazy thing. This is supposed to be a quarterly thing. The ratings have gotten so insane. That people who don't even like reporting it, like yourself, people who don't even like reading yeah. it, we've forced ourselves into like, we need a monthly update. It's like, no, we don't really. <laughs> you know, I get tweets. Yeah, we're, we're reading. Yeah, it's like, no, like it's a quarterly book. doesn't matter one month. It's a three-month thing. But no, we've gotten so insane. And this started during the Francesa battle. And like Michael K made this bet. He's the one popping the champagne on the show. Yeah. And th- you know what I mean? This is to me, this is a bet he made. And... To take a shot at Neil Best, to me, it's just lowbrow. Like, look at, I was a big, like, I was a pretty big high school, uh, like, a, I was a all-city high school hockey player when I was a senior, right? And there's three forwards uh, on the on the top line, obviously, like, like the top city, uh, the top three, right? And there's, like, the one, the one kid was known as, like, a grimy, you know, kind of dirty guy. You know, I was, like, a finesse guy. And then there was, like, the top star, like, the number one kid. It's, like, and I think about with you guys, like, you know, the people who cover this, like, you know the traits of the different guys. And, like, to to accuse, to go after Best the way he did, I just didn't get it. You know what I mean? It just, it made him seem totally unhinged. And then Peter Rosenberg, you know, comes back in, too, with this kind of lame ribbing on the square about, oh, you know, uh, the Post just put an article up about a light bulb out. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, my God, these guys are petty. And it's like, and all of this, yeah, by I the way. Like, yeah, I mean, I think when any of those, yeah, when any of those guys do it, just. I don't know. It feels like kind of small, personally. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's gonna kind of how it feels um, to me. Uh, but you know what? If Neil Best is gonna help him get ratings, then uh, you know you got to go with you know you got to go with the big topics. If Bestie's gonna help him get some you know bigger numbers, then you got to talk about. Unbelievable. Andrew Marchand covers sports media for the New York Post, and I mentioned this last time, but I'll mention it again. It's my favorite thing to do on my iPad is to get the New York Post. Uh, app there and you can read the paper every day like it's the paper or you can switch and read it like it is on the iPhone app where it's just you know stories that come out through the day or whatever so two great options there so if you have an iPad and you're into uh, you live in New York State at all um, whether it be for sports or or politics or whatever yeah or outside but I I would think you know like geez if you live in New York State the way things are going with covid with uh, a scandal at governor like it's not just the back pages uh there's all kinds of great content to read there uh and i think it's beautifully presented in the ipad app so i suggest that and of course you can follow andrew on twitter and uh anything else all right i'll throw one more out to you and we'll let you go on this uh when we talk again next time what's going to be the big thing as uh as a guy like when you look in your notebook uh, let's say I call you in three months. What do you think is going to happen between now and then? I'm going to have to get to. What are you looking for? Is it going to be Olympics? Is that going to be the big next thing? Like, where are we, where are we going here the rest of this year? What? Because we got the contracts kind of out of the way, uh, and that was the next big, yep. big thing to fall. So what's um, next? We have NHL. We have NHL, and we have NHL. We'll go NBC or Fox. Right, Part one. B. Um, right, they're Part B. Yeah, 
Yeah, Part B. So that's a big one. Baseball deal with ESPN will be announced. Look, I got a whole list of things and things I've heard and things I'm working on. So um, I would say stay tuned. Uh, open up that iPad. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah the iPad uh, app. And uh, so, yeah, I can't really say. But, yeah, the Olympics will be a big deal. Will they be able to get that off? It seems like they will. But, you know, it'll probably be different, I'm sure. Um, viewing will be down. I, mean, I, I would presume the numbers will likely be down on that one because um, I believe last I checked, it's like the amount of fans will be limited. So um, I just think the excitement level will be uh, diminished on that. For sure. Uh, but we're getting, I think we're getting, we're going in the right direction um, in terms of uh, where things are headed. So, uh, yeah, so I, but yeah, there, there, there's always a lot. Like there's never just, a, you think there's going to be a dull moment and then there's not. Well, I didn't put this as one of my things, but. I listened the other day, Francesa and Dog, together again, 45 minutes. I'm telling you, that guy wants to talk. I just feel like as time passes, it just makes so much sense. Just do an hour a week with Dog and three hours on Fridays during football season by yourself, Francesa. It's right there. You know what I mean? Like I feel like we're as close as we've ever been yeah, since they've been apart I right guess, now. I I gotta be honest with you. I was for that a few years ago. I mean, I really think they missed an opportunity. You know, Mike really, Chris was wanted to do it. But he really missed an opportunity to go out sure. the way yep. he should have, um, and it would have been fun. So fix I it. Listening to that the other no, but, the, but listening to that the other day, I, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I love um, it. I love it. I, I love those it, guys. It did. I don't know. It, I do. I you know I did too. But um, I don't know. It just didn't feel the same to me. I, maybe I'm wrong. I just felt like Mike was you know. I don't know. Maybe it's me, you know, um, but it just seemed like Mike was just so like, I don't know. He just didn't seem engaged. And I, I, I you know, and that was obviously the case for a long time at the end with the fan uh, where he's not engaged. And for me, that's just not like, Oh, I, I thought you were going to go radio. the opposite way that he was just interrupting dog too much. And there was no flow. I didn't well, think that's you... what, yeah, that, no, no, that way I'm not engaged in sports. Like, does he really know oh, okay. that's going on? Or just, does he have these like kind of obvious opinions that, you know, are somewhat interesting, but not really, you know what I mean? Like, well, I don't know if he's really saying anything that he, you know, I mean, look, this is the thing from Source Radio. Like, I, you talk about the iPad app. I'd like to see these guys, uh, you know, let's do two weeks of shows without reading any newspapers, you know, or, or websites that are delivering you information. Let's see how much you know. And, they, you know, like, that's where they get most of the information from. So, um, you know, and so I like to learn something. That's what, to me, like, the best, uh, talk shows, they say something different, or like, boy, dog's great. It's just like the energy. It's funny. I don't know the way he goes about things. I mean, even after all these years, he still just like rips people all the time. Most people soften up as they get older and like know people and whatever. Dog just like is missing a screw, but it's a good screw to be missing to be a talk show host. Well, it was a good job by you today. Good job by you, Andrew. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right, thank you for having me on. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high I want to thank Andrew Marchand for being on the podcast today 
Always love talking sports media with Andrew. All right, let's do the book club update today. Just a couple things. First thing, new book. I don't think I mentioned this one on the podcast yet. It's by an author named Devin Gordon, and it's called So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports. So, you know, I always figure as we get closer to opening day, which is Thursday of baseball, that there'll be more baseball books out. Uh, And this is the first one uh, for the book club. So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports uh, by Devin Gordon. I can't wait to read it. I reached out to all my best friends who are Mets fans, and they can't wait to read it. And it will be fun to have uh, Devin on the show. Uh, Also, I want to mention real quickly that Keith Law was on last year to promote his book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strains, Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves. Uh, He writes for The Athletic, and this book is coming out this week on paperback. And the publisher reached out to me to ask if I wanted to have Keith back on. I responded and said, of course. Uh, So hopefully Keith will be on soon, and I wanted to mention... Uh, his book, The Inside Game, as part of uh, the book club as well this week. All right, the big one I'm working on and reading, it's long, it's big, it's awesome, it's rock and roll. It's by Tom Bujor and Richard Beinstock. It's called Nothing But a Good Time, The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion, uh, the forwards by Corey Taylor of Slipknot. And it's an awesome book uh, full of the debauchery and fun Uh, that you would expect from the unbelievable decade uh, or even more of a decade of rock music in the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And it's an oral history. It's an easy read. It's a fun read. They're nice enough to send me four books. Three are accounted for. And when I'm done reading mine, I can give that out. If you're still interested, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Nothing but a good time. The Uncensored uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion. I'm going to read that, finish reading that, and hopefully next episode those guys will be on, as well as an interview I've been sitting on a little bit uh, with Paige Hamilton of Helmet. So we'll have a rock and roll show soon uh, with the interview with the two authors of Nothing But a Good Time and also Paige Hamilton. Uh, So a rock and roll edition of the Sportscaster soon. So that's the book club for today. Uh, Don't forget about the Inside Game by Keith Law, now available on paperback. Nothing but a good time, of course. And then the new one by Devin Gordon uh, about the Mets. So many ways to lose is the name of that book. All right, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the career of the great Drew Brees with Mike Triplett from ESPN. Our next guest today is a graduate of Iowa. He used to cover the Saints for the New Orleans Times Picayune and now is the beat writer uh, for the Saints for ESPN.com and ESPN. He's nice enough to join us today to talk about the great Drew Brees. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Mike Triplett. Hey, Mike. How you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I think uh, I think I'm doing good. You know, I got a lot of messages from people last week, you know. How are you doing? Yeah. You know, what do you think? And I think, you know, my main thought was, I just hope I enjoyed it enough. 
You know what I mean? I just hope that's I... That's a really good perspective. That, that that's, an, that's a good thought. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never going to be like that. You know, for so many years, I was the laundry guy. I cheered for the laundry. I didn't care that much about the individual guys. You know, players came in, came and went. And I had favorites, obviously, every year. But, you know, it, Drew Brees changed all that a little bit. You know what I mean? He he was uh, he was the number one guy. And he, I think at least in my lifetime, he always will be. I don't know how you how how someone can come on and, and be him because yeah because of the circumstances. You know, I don't know. You could get someone like that again. No one can. Only one guy can be first, right? He could. He's always going to be the first guy to take us where we it, want. It, well, yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that because I've had that conversation with people about where Drew Brees ranks all time. And it's hard to supplant people like like he's not making top ten lists because Dan Marino and, and Brett Favre get to be there permanently, you know. <laughs> right. Like uh, once somebody is 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 in a hierarchy, they they don't, yeah. I mean, for somebody to be considered the best Saints player of all time, they would have to be <laughs> they'd have to be Superman. They'd have Tom to be Brady. Brady. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they'd uh, have to have surpass, a Bra- uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they'd have to have a Brady like career, and then I still. Still don't know for sure. I mean, yeah. it, it pro- probably, yeah. probably, but I'm sure we'll get into this. And, I mean, there's no way that anyone can ever have his impact in every way that he had an impact, though, because nobody else is ever going to take over a Saints team that never won anything. Nobody right. else is ever going to take a Saints team that almost moved away because of Hurricane Katrina. I mean, I mean, so you'd have to be Tom Brady, and you'd have to be like rescuing a franchise. So. <laughs> so I'm going to officially predict. Somebody can record this and and do freezing cold takes, but I'm going to go bold that no one will ever supplant Drew Brees as, as the most impactful player in Saints history. Well, I'm, I'm really going out on a limb there. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's why I just say I hope I enjoyed it enough. You know, I hope yeah. I hope that I remember the night of the C.J. Spiller, um, 80 yard OT touchdown was at his 400th. I think was the significance of it. And I remember after I don't think the Saints had won yet this year that year it might have been their first win. And I remember that was the first time I kind of thought to myself, man, you better enjoy every one of these moments because yeah. The, there's more behind there's more behind than ahead. You know, that was like the first moment it kind of clicked for me and since then I've been trying to you know stop and smell the roses as much as I can. Admittedly, the playoff disappointments have hurt that a little yeah. bit. You know, it. Um, you know, uh, I'll never get, you know, people say to me, you got to get over it, but I'll never get over the 2019 yeah. NFC Championship game. You know, well, look, I just won't because it got Drew stolen. Brees, Drew Brees and the Saints deserve, and Sean Payton and, and, you know, Cam Jordan and all these, you know I mean? They should have gone to two. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sure Saints fans would would want them to be a dynasty, and I'm sure they'd want three, and I'm sure they'd want yeah, but but that's a that's a stupid standard to hold this team to. And, and you're right, in in appreciation mode, thank goodness they got the one because it really would have been heartbreaking if they never got there. So. So it should make you appreciate the one more. And, and look, we can look at every other contemporary besides Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers only has one. 
Peyton Manning only won one with Indianapolis. Yep. Russell Wilson only has one. It's hard. It's hard to do. Two is not fair, but but they were so good for so long, and the losses were so heartbreaking that it is a shame they didn't get that second one. Now, clinging to it at the end was a little bit of an unfair standard. I, I, I did not like the lack of appreciation for Drew Brees late in his career when when I thought. Um, you know, the things he was doing without arm strength just added to his legend. He's, he reinvented sure, himself. Absolutely. Uh, and I thought that just added to his legend. But, you know, tacking one more on at the end would have sort of made up for, for the, the missed opportunities uh, earlier in the career. And it's, it, it's a shame that, you know, it, it, almost, it almost would have been better if, if the Super Bowl had come late in his career instead of early in his career because, you know, then it would have felt like a final chapter. Instead, expectations were raised through the roof so high so early. But the total body of work, the total number of wins, the style of football they were playing, the passing numbers, the offensive excitement, um, and the Super Bowl all put together. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to walk away feeling cheated uh, from the last 15 years too much. If they ever find a way to win it next year, that narrative's going to grow too because – it's going to be, oh, Drew Brees is the reason they didn't win the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's going to be absolutely <laughs> bullshit. But I can feel it right. coming well, a, million, look, he, a million miles he, away. He struggled, he struggled in 20. There's no doubt about it. And, and unfortunately, I think his, his two worst regular season games of the season were both on Monday Night Football, uh, that Raiders game and, and, and the beginning of that Chargers game. And so it just created this narrative earlier in the year. Early and it was a runaway train, though. Off a cliff. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. But, and the injuries. Uh, I, I thought he got better, yeah, and then the injury. I thought he got better, and they had some incredible uh, – uh, he was still the master. He and Sean Payton were still the master for the two-minute drive before halftime this year. They, they went 12-4 and four in large part because uh, of what they kept doing after those ugly starts, you know, against Detroit, against Chicago, against uh, – uh, the Chargers, you know, and then boom, two minutes, Drew Brees still scores the touchdown. But, but look, it, it was not his best year. But I will stand, I will fight for 2017 through 2019 as as a defining era for him. Oh hell yeah! I, I do not think there is a the last four years were a disappointment. Not at all. Not at all. The last four years were super fun, by the way. You know, <laughs> like that's the one thing about the way this a couple of those seasons ended is it was too bad because they were such great fun seasons, you know, like especially yeah. the first one in 2017. I mean, they go, oh, yeah. they go, they, they're where they Oh, and two. Yeah. Oh, and two. Oh, and two and a very ugly. Oh, and two. Yeah. I mean, the, the it, Patriots it, 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 had, had the stopped them. See, the story, the doomsday stories I was writing, like the, uh, during the end of an era yep. type of stuff. How did this defense become so horrible? Uh, kind of stuff. Through the, I think they gave up a thousand yards in those first two games of seventeen. And I mean, Barnwell wrote the the death of the Breeze Peyton era column. I think nine times. Um, <laughs> and he was all over it at that point. But the run they went on that season, then I mean, not losing again until I can't even remember eight nine games in. And I got to go to the game in Buffalo that year, and. They had this drive in the game, you'll probably remember it, where they didn't throw the ball at all until third and goal. <laughs> and they they drop they drop back to throw and Breeze doesn't have anything, right? And he's scrambling around and Teron Armstead just demoralizes the life of a Bills player with one hand. Um just knocks him into 
you know, into into next next week's game, and Breeze scrambles in for the touchdown, and it was a however many play zero pass drive where I think the shortest run was like five yards, and it was yeah it, it, that was an incredible and and the Bills made the playoffs that year. They were five and two, I think, at the moment. Forty-eight to six, or something like that. Yeah, I think they were five Um, and two team at the moment. I think that was when they benched uh, uh, Taylor. Was it benching Tyrod Taylor after that game and bringing in Peterman or whatever? But then I think that was still the same year they ended up making the playoffs and everybody. It was that thing, Andy Dalton. Andy uh, Dalton celebration. But but yeah, it's so funny that that you remember that game. But that was a defining moment for how good their run game had become. Yep. And, and how good Kamara you know, was over the four yeah. years too. You're, you're right. Like, uh, you know, they, they definitely switched from, and I'm going to digress here, but uh, sure. uh, a bunch of people keep asking me, Oh, you know, will the saints offense change with Jameis Winston at quarterback? And I go, well, what, what do you define the saints offense? Because it had already for changed. 10 years. We yeah. thought the saints offense was throwing for 5,000 plus yards. And over the last few years, you know, it's it's a well-rounded, balanced, you know, short, com- you know, high completion percentage passes in a run game. So we've seen the Saints offense do everything already. Uh, it definitely adapted over the last four years, which, you know, I uh, that's probably Sean Payton's finest body of work, obviously, uh, um, early in his career, you would say, too, and, and all the things he did. But but just cementing his, his legacy as proving he could do it another way and proving he could do it with other quarterbacks. And 2017 had the awesome comeback against the Redskins. Uh, you know, I think Breeze was 11 for 11 um, in those two drives and the two touchdowns. You know, the Camaro one where yeah. he, where he he it hit his hands and went up in the air and then he caught it and, uh, you know, made the leap into the stands. I mean, there were so many great moments. And then that's sort of spoiled a little bit by what happens in, in, in Minnesota. And I remember... I remember when it happened. I was sitting at that, like at the edge of my couch, and my mom was there, my brother was there, my wife, you know, my daughter. We're just all in like disbelief, and I remember just thinking, like, remember you went into today talking about how everything this season was all house money, how they had already gotten yeah. further than anyone. <laughs> it's like you need to find a way to go back to that. Start talking about that. You know what I mean, but. Because well, it was such me, a special look, season. I can't, I can't, I can't put myself in your shoes. Uh, uh, you know, from a you know, just a fan passion standpoint. But to me, that was the easiest to swallow of almost all of them. For, because for sure, this the house, a, the season was funny, but the game was house money. They were getting crushed at halftime. Seventeen nothing. They had yeah. the lead for about they had the lead for about a minute and a half. So it's not like. <laughs> You know the Rams one is so much worse because they start. They you know they have the thirteen nothing lead. They're playing at home. They're the favorites. You know Vikings game. They were the underdog, and and plus so many rookies on that team. You felt like all right, this is just the start of something. Uh, uh, and it was. Yeah, that 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 one. You know, in retrospect, I mean, the maybe the most gut wrenching specific play outside of the the missed pass interference call, but. Uh, um, but you know, at least there was you know still a ton of hope right after that game. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're going to compare which which playoff losses were the most gut wrenching. There's about eight strong candidates, right? Well, in the Breeze era alone, I mean, you have two games where he was down seventeen nothing, San Francisco and Minnesota, and in both of those games, he led what could have been game winning drives twice. You know, he took the lead late in the fourth quarter two times. Mm-hmm. Um, in both of those games and 
you know, for not. And then, you know, 2018, I remember when the playoffs started, my line was, well, I know for sure, no matter what happens, it won't be worse than last year. And, huh. of course, that. <laughs> so it was your fault. It was, because I was saying to everyone, look it, no matter what happens, no matter how the season ends, it can't end worse than the Ma- Ma- Minneapolis miracle or whatever. You know, it can't be worse oh. than that. Oh, I um, did it. But the difference was, is we got beat in Minnesota. It got stolen from us against the Rams. I mean, that was a theft. We didn't get beat. Um, I haven't met one person yet who says that's not a that says it's not a penalty. You know, I'm still at a hundred percent of people yeah. saying that's a penalty a hundred percent of the time. You know, and then of course the irony the next well, year. Well, Sean Payton's line. You've probably heard Sean Payton say the number. Of times. Yeah, legacy he changing. Says, he hates when people call it controversial. There's nothing controversial nope. about it when everyone agrees, he says. <laughs> yeah, and and what I, I remember watching his presser, and the, the league had already called him to say they they yeah. effed up. You know, it's like it's unbelievable, and, and this is what is it's it's like are we dwelling on this stuff? No, this is just part of the story. And what really irks me about that one is it would have set up a chance for Breeze to have a Super Bowl against Tom Brady, and if he mm-hmm. wins that Super Bowl. He has two Super Bowls, and he beat the two defining quarterbacks of the era in those games. He beats Manning. He beats Brady. And he didn't get the chance because – because what? Why? I don't know. Why did – what happened? All those guys just lost their mind simultaneously? I don't know. (laughs) You're exactly right. But anyway. You're exactly right. But anyway, give me a couple moments that stick out for you in in the run. A couple of – you know, like for me, I think back. I was at the very first game of the of the Breeze Payton era in Cleveland, and I remember I was there early, and I remember watching Coach Payton walking around the 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 entire length of the field. He was just taking a long walk, and I was just like, I want. I, I remember saying something to my wife at the time, like, I wonder if he's picturing it. You know, like I wonder if he's picturing it, what it's going to be. And and I think at the time I meant more like an NFL coach and coaching an NFL yeah. game, but like n- no one would have thought at, on that day what it would actually be, right? Like, remember the narrative going into that season: no, is the offense hadn't scored a touchdown. The offense didn't score a touchdown low. in the preseason. That was that that preseason performance was yeah. a disaster, awful a disaster. Yep. Sean Payton didn't think that, it, it, and there's no. There's no, you know, you don't hear stories from Sean Payton or Drew Brees where they're like, you know, the results weren't good in the preseason, but we knew we had something. No, they don't even say that. They're like, right. oh, my God, are we going to be terrible? <laughs> they wondered, too. Yeah, and who's, I mean, it's uh, still who's Marcus Colston. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I think of oh, that, man. you know, yeah. I think of the Patriots game in 2009, the Devery Henderson touchdown when, like, yeah, nobody else is on my TV. You know, I think of... um the Reggie Bush touchdown in the uh, the 06 NFC Championship game. And then I think about yep. it's another one of those playoff moments where we get the ball back late in the third quarter. We're in we're in the territory of the Bears. And we go three plays oh, yeah. in a row. I can't remember if there are three runs in a row or three passes in it a row. W- it, it was three. No, it was the opposite. It was three incomplete passes. Three in incomplete. And everyone right. And it's like if they would have just got five that, yards. That, that was the first time. Yeah. No, that was the uh, beginning of another narrative, which is, you know, it didn't take long before people were already questioning uh, Sean Payton's hubris. 
Sure. Because they had just won the week before over Philadelphia by running for like Deuce. 250 yep. yards yep. with Deuce. And, and then they go into Chicago, and it's like ice coming out of the sky. And, and he decided to outsmart the Bears by passing. And the receivers were all dropping passes and fumbling. Right. And then, yeah, they uh, – and, and the worst part about that particular drive is even if they had run it three times and gained five yards – you kick uh, the field goal and you go ahead. Goal. Instead, they yeah. missed a field goal because it was Too like far. forty-seven yards. Yep. Yeah, so that that you know, but but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the record breaking moments. I mean, it's similar to the it's similar to the you know, uh, um, you've got you, you you've got to take those decisions with uh, the good with the bad with Sean Payton because sure. uh, uh, there's a lot of conservative coaches in the history of the sport. He's probably the least you know you, you're not allowed to enjoy ambush and then say but should have run the ball and <laughs> you're not allowed to do both <laughs> right that's fair that's fair but there's just so many so many things i look back on when i you know just scan the 2006 to 2020 i have a good memory for this stuff i remember a lot of them you know i remember where i was i remember who was around me you know i just my mind works yeah. like that for whatever reason but i don't know what are a few you think well sometimes like you're taking your own advice i mean if you're appreciating all the little moments of of oh you're appreciating it. Uh, uh, That's what I'm trying um, to do. Yeah, and, and you're right. Now, look. Here's the lasting impact, too. Though is, I, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, you you can't guarantee anything. There's, you know, Sean Payton will be gone one day too. Mickey Loomis will be gone one day too. Um, the the Saints might one day be the Chicago Bears, and they're on their 18th quarterback trying to figure out how they get back to the championship game. You know, but it it feels like something's changed. I mean, the. Drew Brees is gone, and yet this team still feels like it's going to be okay. I mean, they—they, they, you know, it's just—it is a new era for Saints football that doesn't just completely go away when he goes away. No, I think there's still a great team there. I want to talk about that yeah. at the end, but before we get too off into that, let's still focus on remembering Brees a little bit more before we move on to that. And I, we will, because yeah, because I agree with you. I think there's still a, good, a really good team there, and you know, the the story of the offseason hasn't even been written yet, so. You know, I'm not going to judge the roster yet at all. But, um, you know, you think I was thinking, you know, you were saying like, oh, enjoying the moments. And I'm trying to do that so much. And, you know, I just remember I remember when the Saints would be on Monday Night Football and it would be like once every five years. And, you know, those games started at nine o'clock on the East Coast then. And I wouldn't even have to convince my parents to let me stay up because they they understood, like, Saints are never on. They're not going to be on again for five years. You might as well <laughs> let them stay up. He's going to be in high school the next time they're on Monday Night Football. You know, or, like, they played those few wild card games in the late 80s yeah. and early 90s, you know, never won any of them. And, and then when they won the wild card game in 2000 with Haslett and Brooks, like, I just remember how I felt that day, like, Wow, they won a playoff game, you know, and it yeah. was it was different the way it was like they had accomplished something they'd never accomplished before, and that's so odd to say about one playoff, one wild card playoff game. But I think as much as the moments and the records and the the relevance, you know, how relevant they were for so long, you know, how many night games they had, you know, how many people yeah. wore Drew Drew Brees jerseys, you know, just like the relevance part of it is something that I think is a little underlooked too. Because they were so irrelevant for so long, you know, yeah. and um, and the relevance that Breeze and Peyton brought, that's important to me and special to me too. No question, and 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 yeah, relevance and reputation. I mean, uh, 
you know, you take the good with the bad, too, because it comes with the high expectations that were so hard to meet uh, in recent years. But, yeah, the Saints definitely became one of those teams that people were just like, well, they're one of the good ones. You know, the good teams are the Patriots and the Steelers and the Cowboys and the Saints and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, that, you know, they, they just were accepted as that type of team in that breath. And, and I'm sure that's completely different than what you grew up with. Yeah, I mean, they became a national team. You know, yeah. they became a really important team to the league, even though for whatever reason, and maybe this is just as a fan, it feels like the league loves to stick the fork in our eye. Um, I mean, we're the yeah, Saints, Saints bit, the only a, team with a, a COVID little, violation a all year. <laughs> What's that? I said the Saints, the only team with a COVID violation all year. I don't think they're the only one with a draft pick taken away, right? They they ended up being the only one. With I mean, the, the Titans almost almost single handedly ruined the season. Nothing for that. <laughs> No, well, they got punished. The Titans got punished. They got like a fine, but that was you know a level one offense. The Saints, uh, as I was told, multiple offenders. Right, uh, and the multiple uh, offense. At least three that we know of. Dancing in the locker room without masks, right? Was one of them. (laughs) Within the within the bubble of the team, right within their bubble with the same guys they were all just sitting around the whole game maskless with. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of them, right? That's one of the violations. Would not, yeah, okay. but, I mean, I, to, to answer your question, they would not have been punished worse than other teams that did that for just that. But it was one of those, like, sure. why, you know, why, why do you keep coming across our desk every week when we've had these talks before? Type of situation. <laughs> I don't know. Like when I look back at the multiple violations, but, but I it, know it is hard. Yeah, it is hard to argue. The, the feeling that there's bad blood between the team and the league. Oh, there definitely is. Yeah. For a long time, and there definitely <laughs> is. Right, and like that it goes for years when we play on Thursday night, and we'd be the only team that wouldn't send a guy to Rich Eisen after the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. but anyway, let's uh, let's tighten up. Give me a moment or two from Breeze. Give me one or two that you're gonna think about forever. Well, you know what's funny is we've, we've tried to do greatest plays in Saints history lists and different things like that, and, and his is not necessarily play-specific um, play, you know, individual plays. Those all seem to come on special teams with the Saints um, or Tracy Porter interceptions. Right. But, uh, um, you know, obviously his, his moment, his, his greatest moment, like if you have to say, all right, give me, Give me one line on Drew Brees where he had his best moment. I would say it was, you know, so defining of him too is the go-ahead touchdown drive in that Super Bowl where he completed eight, eight, eight. of eight passes yep. to eight different receivers, yep. including Lance Moore on the two-point conversion, and it was just boom, boom, boom. Here's Shockey, here's Devery, here's yep. Reggie, here's you know, uh, Lance Moore, here's Colston. You know, and I mean, I mean that that was so defining for him. Um, and it's so funny, you know, I don't think it's just because they won the Super Bowl that we elevate those games. A lot of his most special moments really did happen that season. I mean, the Miami game when they came back and, and he his convinced uh, yeah. Payton to let him do the one-yard dive, and then later he dunks in the second half. And um, uh, the Washington comeback that year, you know, everybody remembers what Robert Meacham did, but then he also marched him down the field and threw a deep Deep touchdown pass to Meacham. Beautiful throw. After, uh, yep. after the missed field goal, the yep. Patriots game when he had the perfect passer rating on Monday Night Football against Tom Brady. So, I mean, when he was in his element, you know, um, the 2011 season, obviously, we, we don't mention that. You didn't mention that along with the recent heartbreaks, but I still think that was the best team that didn't win it when, sure. when he threw for, you know, he, he broke Peyton Manning's single season record. Yep. 
46 touchdowns. I mean, the numbers were just preposterous that season. And uh, and I thought he played phenomenal in that playoff loss at San Francisco Yep. Um, when they kept trying to come back. And, Came back and, and obviously down the field defining twice. Because, yep. Yeah, and defining because that was sort of the story of, of the heart of those Saints years when the defense just couldn't hold was giving Alex up Smith. as many points as they were scoring. Yep, yeah, just couldn't hold back but, Alex uh, Smith. The two-minute the two minute drill drives. It, it, here's one thing that I think of with Breeze, and, and this is true of some teams. This is probably true of Pat Mahomes in, in Kansas City. You know, of course, covering Breeze for 15 years, I had to uh, make predict, you know, game predictions every, every week. I probably had to predict who was going to win and lose and what was going to be the final score of a game over those years. And for the bulk of those 15 years, I picked against the Saints sometimes, for sure. Um, you know, especially like if they're at New England, at Baltimore, that kind of stuff. Right. But when you're sitting there trying to predict a score and you're thinking, well, I feel like if everything goes bad in this game and the Saints are down by 14 points at halftime, they're going to come back at least, yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're only going to lose by three, you know, like, I mean, or, or, you know, I'm going to pick them to win because if everything goes wrong in the first half, they're going to just come back and outscore the team in the second half. I mean, just that utter belief for so long that, that they could, they could score at you know at will, and if they had a bad first half, then they would just make up for it in the second half, and and it played out that way. It played out that that way for over a decade. And you know, just about every one of those teams, I think the only one I would say was unlikable was 2014. You know, every other yeah, but year, we didn't. Yeah, I mean, we we knew it as it kind of helped. Or, or late, we we found out like later. I mean, that, that that season came on as a surprise, but you're right that that was. That was one of those seasons, and just as I was saying that, that the Saints would always come back. There, there were the games where you're like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Like at home against Cincinnati where they only scored like 10 points. Like, they stunk in the first half, and then they didn't get any better in the second. Like, what is going on with this team? That team was a total, total, you know, shock. <laughs> uh, Browner and Bird. Oof. Yeah. Oh, maybe my least two favorite players of the era. Um, now, but I, I, I would not – put them in the same category now they might rank one and two as as, as worst spending uh payoffs but um you know there, there was never an indication that jaris bird jaris bird was any kind of a uh locker room downer wasn't respected but no he's just a know, total bust. was the main thing that brought yeah. him down yeah it's just a total bust like when we signed him i i was in i live in buffalo you know I, all i seen from him yeah. up to that point was like interception interception fumble you know like he was a Great player, I thought, and I was so excited to get him. And it was almost the start of the manana economics of the Saints. You know what I mean? Where they <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it's almost like it, you well, go back to that actually moment. Actually, eleven, uh, eleven was the the start, or uh, twelve, I guess. Yeah, it was twelve when when Breeze, Colston, Carl Nix were all free agents. Uh, I think they started using some of that uh, economics that year. Uh, okay, but. Uh, but yeah, bird, bird, bird. They were all, by by the, by the time they got to bird, they were all in. Right with an outside guy too. You know what I mean? Like those are resigns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I never thought going into that offseason they had the money for a guy like Bird. Never thought they were in on Bird. <laughs> and then the first you hear of it is like they signed Bird. You, you are like, right about what? that. Yeah, the the couple for the for the previous couple of years they had found ways to keep their team together. Right. And that year they're like, oh man, the Saints don't have any cap space. And then they sang like the number, the number one, one guy. guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but yeah, that was the uh, that that was definitely the defining moment of the Banana. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, the sportscast is here with Mike Triplett from ESPN. He's talking about Drew Brees and the Saints, and we'll finish up here real quick on this and just look ahead um, because I don't know what it's going to be like yet. You know, I don't know what it's going to feel like. I do think that the best thing in my mind for the team is that Jameis wins the QB battle just so that they don't also lose the things that Taysom Hill brings to the game. You know, like if Taysom Hill wins the battle, they also will, though, will lose what Taysom Hill brings to the team. And I don't know if they can afford everything that they've had to sacrifice in the name of the cap. I don't know they can afford to lose all the things he does. You know, like, can we afford well, to lose means, uh, Hardy I, I, I and Hill on special teams? You know, like, we already lost Hardy. Do we want to lose Hardy and Hill on special teams? You know, I don't know. You know, we already lost, you know, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, do we want to lose, or Jared Cook, or Josh, maybe Jared Cook and Josh Hill are better than uh, um, Sanders. And, well, but you're, you're right, though. They lost all three of those. Yeah, and, right. So and, do we want yeah, to take him out, too? seven touchdown passes two years ago. Exactly. Right, so... I think that's what's best for them is that Jameis wins it, you know, that he plays like a number one, like a best case scenario. Jameis blows everyone yep. away, wins the job. It's the guy he was in Tampa two years ago without the picks, right, or last, way last picks. Hill gets to be Hill. You know, they have a good draft again, and they could be a Super Bowl contender, right? I feel that way. I do. I think the team is that good. No, look, is that there's good. no question. That- yeah. There's no question, especially the way you describe the best case scenario. Look, if, if Jim, your best case scenario is Jameis Winston blows everyone away in training camp. Now you could say it would be a best case scenario if either guy blew everyone away, but I, I, it's hard to call Taysom Hill a known commodity. But I mean, we kind of know what Taysom Hill is going to look like in training camp in the preseason if there is one. Right uh, now, I think I think there's a lot of untapped potential with Taysom Hill. Like I, I, sure. I still would buy stock, you know, if Sean Payton announced Taysom Hill is starting all 16 games this year, we're designing the playbook around him, we're going to spend, we're committed to it, that's what we're doing, I would buy stock in it. I think it could work. I think it could work better than it did last season. I was surprised that he wasn't running more as his second or third option. He got in so much trouble when he stayed back there in the pocket. Right. I think the anticipation stuff can improve over time. Um you know, I I I think there's a formula for winning. I would worry about him getting hurt if he was the starter for 16 games. But, of course. But uh, so none of this is an indictment on on Taysom Hill. I I don't think that's a fraud. I think there there's a path to that. Where you live in Buffalo, I I kept saying he could be Josh Allen before last season. Now what Josh Allen did this past year, I'm not going to predict that he could do that. But but I mean, I think there is a path there that that's the kind of quarterback he could be. But but I completely agree that that. Two, for two reasons. Jameis Winston is the quarterback. Taysom Hill plays the role that Taysom Hill has always played. But also, I think the ceiling is higher for Jameis Winston. I think, he, first of all, he's three years younger. But also, yeah, if he's a guy that can throw for uh, 5,000 yards and, and get the ball downfield yeah, and, 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 and cut down on those turnovers a little bit, um, you know, I, I think there is still enormous potential. We actually don't have a huge track record with Sean Payton developing quarterbacks. I mean, we know what he did with Tony Romo, uh, but I think we all think Sean Payton could be really good at developing quarterbacks, and that's what Jameis Winston is. Jameis Winston, I I think of it like the Packers drafting Jordan Love. Like, 
I, I would I would probably rather have Winston than Jordan Love. I'd probably rather have Winston than than Mac Jones. Uh, um, you know, I don't I don't know about Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but I mean that that's how I think of James Winston is a guy with potential who they're going to work with. I, you know, I, I don't think they're just, you know, signing Ryan Fitzpatrick or Andy Dalton and saying, do what you've always done. I think there is untapped potential. Now, maybe he'll never realize it, but um, I, I'm fascinated to see how, how much more there is to get out of him when you pair him with one of the best offensive coaching staffs in the league. Yeah. I think it's a, you know, the best case scenario for, for them is if he wins it, Taysom gets to be Taysom. You know, they probably have to add another quarterback uh, to be the backup per se, which I'm sure they will be able to do. They got to have a good draft. Chase Daniel, of course. Chase, is out yeah, there. Chase Daniel is out there with his backwards hat. One of the all-time winners of football economics for sure. One of the Hall of Famers. <laughs> one of the Hall of Famers there. Him and Sam Bradford, I think, come to mind in this era. It's just yeah. like great manipulators. But um, all right, we'll see about that, and I'm sure we'll talk about. I'll have you on in August. We'll talk more about what the team actually is because I think. We just don't know enough yet, right? The story of the offseason hasn't been fully written. Right. We can talk about who they subtracted, and that's one thing. But Well, you know what I think the story of the offseason is, though? Uh, this team had some choices, some directions it could have gone. Uh, when, when given the, the boom, boom of Drew Brees is retiring and you have to shave $100 million off your salary cap, I, I wondered, well, will they – you know, what are they going to do with Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek? That was my first thought. Yep. Because those guys are each going to cost $20 million a year. So, and they're going to probably hold out from the start of training camp. It's time for them to get paid. So I was wondering, are the Saints prepared to pay those guys that much? If not, I thought they might trade them like they did with Brandon Cooks and Jimmy Graham and, and be like, all right, we can, we can fix two issues at once. We can you know, save this money against the cap instead of paying these guys and we can turn it into some young talent base. Instead, they they decided, no, we want to keep Lattimore. We want to keep Ramsey. We want to keep Teron Armstead. We want to keep Cam Jordan. We want to keep Michael Thomas. We want to keep Alvin Kamara. We're not going to try to trade anybody. We're not rebuilding. We're going to re-sign Jameis Winston. We're going to put the franchise tag on Marcus Williams. Yep. So, so, you know, that's what this team decided to do. And I think it's such a reminder to people – the salary cap, you know, I've always joked that the salary cap is fake too. It became real this year. Um, but a fluke. That's a fluke. It's still, it's still two hundred. You know, still one hundred eighty-two million dollars a team. If you're building a team with one hundred eighty-two million dollars, you start with all right. Well, I'm going to spend twenty on Michael Thomas, fifteen on Alvin Kamara. You're not like, oh shoot, we have to cut our three best players now. No, you release Denoris Jenkins. You release Emmanuel Sanders. You trade Malcolm Brown. You cut Nick East and, um, you know, unfortunately, cut Thomas Morstead and Josh Hill, who've been around here forever. You know, yeah. Um, those are the moves you make to get under the cap, and you're like, oh wait, so those eight top 100 players ahead on the roster, they get to keep those eight top 100 players. Yeah, yeah. They do. <laughs> exactly. That's why I think it's a, a really good roster still, and I think that it got the... worse. It got worse. Sure, it got worse. You, you know, even if Drew Brees was back, it got worse. And but, some depth. Uh, they they lost some depth, but it's a good you know, team, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, the luxury of having a nine million dollar second wide receiver isn't there this year. You know, and if they would right. have made that if they would have to make that decision last year and then Mike Thomas went through what Mike Thomas went through last year and Emmanuel Sanders wasn't there because they couldn't even make the signing at all, that team might have been in really big trouble. So they're gonna have to get it's gonna have to go a little bit better for them than it did last year, right? That sure. They're gonna have sure. to dodge some more bullets. But 
that doesn't mean they can't. You know, so right. we'll see. Anything you want to plug or mention? Anything you get? What's your plan for the off season? Well, it's going to be different than it's been so many other times. I right. Mean, uh, I was joking with somebody just the other day about how you know uh, uh, you go to training camp and you could uh, <laughs> you could check out and you, you know you'd be like, oh, how you know the the story of training camp every year is uh, is uh, is uh, which undrafted receiver looks like he's going to be the new fourth receiver on this <laughs> on this team. Now we're going to be writing about who's the new starting quarterback going to be and uh, who's the new number two receiver going to be, who's the new number two cornerback going to be. Um, you know, some, some, some major things to write about as we figure out uh, this team life after Drew Brees and life after those salary cap cuts. So uh, the offseason will definitely be fascinating. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you. I want to thank Mike Triplett and Andrew Marchand for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and every episode of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget about my new podcast, the 24-inch podcast. If you subscribe to this one, you're already subscribed to that one. It's at 24inchpodcast on Twitter, and it's at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram, and you can also find our new Facebook group on Facebook. Uh, follow me at sports underscore casters or my partner Dave at HD Rollins, R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S for more information about that. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson. It's at GF Allentown Pod. New episodes every Thursday. Then on the weekend, him and Keithy are live with GF Allentown Live. And Peter and I have a 24-inch podcast that we're overdue to tape. My fault this time. Uh, but we're going to get on that soon and get that done uh, as well. All right. I think that's enough plugs for today. Quickly. I know that one last thing should be about Drew Brees, but we just did the interview with Triplett. And if I'm being honest, I'm not ready for that eulogy. You know, I'm not quite ready to to say those words, to put it all in perspective. I don't have it in my head yet, so I'm not ready for that. We'll do it. The time will come. You get to hear everything I think about Drew Brees what he's meant to be, what he's meant to me. I have a friend, my friend Calvin said that within a year he'll be on this podcast. Hope Calvin's right. And if he is, we'll tell Drew uh, right to him when that day comes. In the meantime, I wanted to talk about the studio a little bit. And uh, as my dog walks in, I'm going to talk about my studio a little bit because when I started this podcast 10 years ago in 2010, Initially, I was recording the show at Don, who was my co-host initially, at his friend Bob's house. So I would go 
to his house, which is in the city of Buffalo. We would record on Tuesdays, and Bob would actually put the podcast up. And then eventually we bought all of Bob's equipment and brought it to my house. And that was 10 years ago. So this stuff has gotten old. And I've been in the process of upgrading all of the technology for the podcast. All right. So first of all, last year, I got rid of my desktop, got a new laptop. And the computer that we record, that I record the files on for Audacity, is now an Apple iMac Pro, or excuse me, an Apple MacBook Pro. Um, it's one year old. It's a beautiful, really a nice laptop. I love it. I record onto that. The board is new. I got a new board. I took the um, headphone amplifier out. Uh, there's two microphones, one on Paula's side and a brand new one on my side. I got the Shure MV7 podcast microphone, which is really cool. Not only does it work uh, with my board as an SLR microphone, but it also has USB uh, to be able to hook right into the into the uh, computer itself if I want to record that way. I know I'm going to spend some time in New Jersey this summer, and I was thinking maybe Dave and I could meet somewhere and record a few 24-inch podcasts. If we do that, I'll just bring the microphone and use it as USB. And also, with some of my more important interviews, I can plug USB in and XLR and record it twice. So I'll kind of have my own backup. I love the mic. I recommend it to any podcasters. It's got great versatility, whether you're doing USB or you're doing XLR. Either way, uh, it's you know it works for both, which is which is sick. You know, to have the XLR with the board and the USB, tons of flexibility there. I also upgraded my iPad. I got the new iPad Pro. And I'm going to also get the iPad I've ordered, and it's coming, the iPad Pro keyboard setup. So I'm going to have the iPad Pro keyboard set up. So I have the screen in front of me uh, to use for notes and websites. And especially when I start doing like the Sports Media Minute, I wanted to have that up, my notes there for that, my plugs. Give me a lot more versatility. I'm always using papers. I got a paper, you know, Velcro to the wall. That's going to be gone. I'm going to use that as a screen, and then I'll have the my old iPad, my iPad Pro, the 9-inch versus the 11-inch is the new one. I'll use the 9-inch uh, to kind of record sounds and interviews and things like that. So I'm flipping everything over. I got to get a new chair. I got to rearrange this room. Uh, but the podcast equipment is in flux and in change. I got to get new microphone cables. That's something I want to do. And I'm just really excited about all this because it's kind of it energizes you in a bit you know when the equipment gets old and doesn't work as well I feel like I was getting old and wasn't as working as well and each time I bring a new piece of equipment I feel like I'm bringing a new piece of life into the show and it started last year with the computer the new laptop and then early uh, this year the board now the microphone uh, I got the two iPad system I got to upgrade some cables. I'm just really excited about it. I'm really excited about the 24-inch podcast. I hope you've checked it out. I handpicked Hollywood Dave for that show, and he has exceeded my expectations. He's a great partner. He's a great friend. He's super knowledgeable about Hulk Hogan and wrestling, and he I think he brings the best out of me too. You know, just working with him, it's I think it's brought the best out of me.
And I thought the shows on this podcast have been really good so far. And I want them to be better. And one of the first parts of that was to have a little bit more consistency with the engineering side of things. And it does get difficult because I'm the only one in this room. You know, I'm all alone. Sportscasters is like the early Nine Inch Nails albums or the Mammoth WVH album. It's just me. And I don't even have an engineer, producer, nothing like that. I got to watch the levels on the computer. I got to watch the levels on the board. I got to make sure I'm speaking in the mic. I got to watch my iPad. Uh, but I feel like I'm I'm streamlining everything. I'm getting everything better. I'm improving. And it makes me feel better about the podcast and about what I'm doing. And it energizes me and keeps me motivated to get in this room. And there's something coming. It's so close to coming that I can't wait for everybody to see and read. And it's so close. And there was part of me who thought maybe it was dead. And then I was given insurance by the writer it's not dead and I feel like that's going to take this podcast to another level as well and I just want to thank everyone it's been too long since I thanked everyone uh, for listening and for caring about this show for caring about me for caring about my family Uh, people like Ford who've been with me since the beginning new fans like Ian partners like Peter and Dave Tammy and Paula just thank you Yeah.